up? What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on a Saturday morning. You're listening to AWOD Radio on the Fan. The Son of the Junks is back. Ride with me from 9 a.m. here until 11.30 on a Saturday of Halloween weekend. Phone lines are always open during AWOD Radio. 1-800-636-1067. This is AWOD on the Fan. It's time to get up and at them and start your Saturday. So the Washington Wizards fell last night. To the Indiana Pacers, a nationally televised game on ESPN. That probably should have uh, been it right there. I should have known. I should have guessed that Washington would lose. Kristaps Porzingis said after the game, they probably underestimated this Pacers team, who was 1-3 and three on the season coming into this, and they came out hot. Halliburton and Heald hitting 3 after 3 after 3 in the first half. Even Miles Turner got into the action, hitting a 3-ball in the first quarter, and the Wizards could not mount a large enough comeback in the second half. I'll discuss this Wizards loss with Chase Hughes at 9.30 on the show today. And my question for the audience, if you want to chime in on the Wizards, phone lines are always open, 1-800-636-1067. From what you've seen so far in this early part of the season, does this Wizards team have enough power, enough strength on this roster, enough scorers to win a playoff series, right? Making the playoffs is the bare minimum. You've got to make the playoffs. The Eastern Conference is not that great. All right, it's a bunch of mediocre teams. You got to make the playoffs, but do we have enough talent on this roster with big three of Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma to win a playoff series? Chase Hughes will help me discuss that on the show today at 9:30. The Washington Commanders face off with the Indianapolis Colts Sunday at 4:25, which is nice for me because I get to watch the Sunday one o'clock games, hang out, grab a beer, eat some wings before I'm you know, biting my nails off my fingers watching the Commanders play because every single week, I mean, there's never an easy victory. And the last two weeks have been nail biters. The 12-7 narrow victory over the Bears on Thursday Night Football and then the 23-21 victory where the Packers are, you know, lateraling it 100 times, the ball goes out of bounds, and the Commanders win 23-21. And with those two wins, Washington now has their best shot of the season to get back to 500. Matthew Paris will help me discuss the commander's keys to victory against the Colts today at 10 a.m. I also want to talk today about mischief night, right? The night before Halloween, the best Halloween costumes of 2022 and what Halloween movies are must watch around the holidays. I'm Adam Epstein. I'm joined by Caitlin producing the show today. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Adam. Just vibing. How are you? I'm doing great. So we talked about my costume last week. So I'm going to let the audience know I am going as Bugs Bunny. All right. So I'll be looking for my Lola Bunny. All right. But uh, it's a great costume. It's kind of like a pajama onesie. My friend left it at my house a few years ago. I washed it, brought it to the cleaners, you know, because there was definitely like some jungle juice on it from him spilling. Anyway, it looks good. I am pumped to go as, as Bugs Bunny. Uh, out and about the town tonight. Of course, I'm here in Richmond, Virginia, and that's where you can check me out Monday through Friday via the Odyssey app, 910 The Fan in Richmond, Virginia, from 12 to 3 p.m. on the show today. But I wanted to start the show today by talking about Washington's chances against the Colts here, and, and I really feel like we will not have a better chance the rest of the season to get back to 500 than this Colts game. You have to take advantage of this opportunity. It's not going to come around later on in the season. You're getting a chance here against a team that is starting a quarterback who's making his first ever NFL start. 
You have to take advantage of it. I feel like it's Christmas in October for the Commanders. Halloween Christmas. Santa left the present in Indianapolis with a quarterback who's never started a game against our defense that just shut down Aaron Rodgers. And all reports and all everything I'm seeing online, the Colts have the 30th ranked offensive line. So against our defensive line, we need to eat. We need to get after the quarterback. Can't let this slip away. And so I think the biggest thing is you got to take a lead early, right? This Colts team is beaten down. I mean, I feel like this Colts team is ready to fold over. They Don't give them any reason to fight. Don't give them any momentum. Take this game away before it feels like they have a shot to win. Take the lead early. Get off the field defensively. Get your offense back on the field. You know, the Colts defense is very solid. So Washington will need to be stout. No penalties, no negative plays, and really just play the field position battle. I'm Adam Epstein. This is AWOD Radio. Phone lines are always open, 833 833- Excuse me, 1-800-636-1067, 1-800-636-1067. So I want to go through some of the biggest storylines for the game Sunday. Number one is Jim Irsay versus Dan Snyder, right? Who will be in attendance? Will Tanya be at the game? Will Dan be at the game? Will they meet at midfield like he did with Jerry Jones just a few weeks ago? Also, I don't know why, but I'm just super interested in what Dan Snyder will be wearing and what he will be looking like. Maybe it's just because I hate the man so much and I can't wait until he's forced to sell this team. But I want to see if he's going to be rocking those blonde tips again. If he's going to have his beard shaved or if he's going to be looking like a disheveled owner that looks like he's about to sell this franchise or not. So that's number one storyline for me is the battle of the owners. Number two, the offseason trade. Washington sent the Colts. All right, I mean, the Colts sent Washington their quarterback, Carson Wentz, for a second-round 2022 NFL draft pick. Uh, getting back a third-round selection and a conditional 2023 pick. All right, the Falcons then, after that move, traded for Matt Ryan to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for a third-round pick in 2022. And yet, both quarterbacks, after being you know major trade pieces in the offseason, are underperforming mightily and down with injuries. So that brings me to my third storyline of the game, which is Taylor Heineke versus Sam Ellinger. The battle of the backups. Which guy can provide a bigger spark for this team. I I think all the experts going into this have kind of agreed this is going to be a low-scoring game. This is going to be one of those games here where it's a battle of which quarterback just makes the least amount of mistakes, can't turn the ball over, can't give the team, you know, easy short field position and and get in the back of the end zone and all of a sudden, you know, Washington's down by 10 points and Heineke's forced to throw the ball 30 times. That is the biggest uh, thing that could happen and go wrong for Washington. And the fourth Storyline that I'll be watching is the running attack versus the rushing attack. What I mean by that is the running attack of Jonathan Taylor. I mean, it is the Jonathan Taylor show in Indianapolis. Last season's best running back in the league, all right, against the rushing attack, the rushing combo of Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson Jr., and we'll see if they sprinkle in a little more J.D. McKissick this Sunday. You know, he only had one carry in the victory over the Green Bay Packers, whereas Robinson Jr. had 20 and Antonio Gibson had 10, and I thought the combination of the two worked perfectly. I mean, that's exactly what everyone envisioned going into this season. I'm telling you guys, there will not be a better opportunity all season for Washington to get back to 500. If they lose this game, we may be behind the chains in terms of records all season for the rest of the season going into the rest of November and December. This is it. I mean, this is the opportunity of a season for Ron Rivera. You know, he's been preaching to the, to the media that this team would get it together. He kept saying, we have better chemistry on defense. Well, 
It looks like we're finally seeing that. The defensive line is playing better. The uh, linebackers, even though Cole Holcomb, we don't know if he's going to play this Sunday. Uh, he didn't practice much this week. But Jamin Davis has stepped up, and he's looked excellent. He looked great against the Packers. Uh, a couple tackles for losses against Aaron Jones in the backfield that were crucial. For all that's been true about Rivera and his slow starts to seasons, and it's, that's the number one reason why I was on the fence about him in the first place, it's also true that Ron Rivera's teams usually pick it up. All right, They typically pick it up and play better in the second half of the season. So this game is huge. It's a chance to capture the momentum of the last two games and string three straight solid performances together. It's a good opportunity for Washington. They just have to follow the game plan. So you ask me, what's my game plan for Washington as they take on the Colts? I said it. You have to take an early lead. right? This Colts team are beaten down. I, I think they're ready to fold over. I, I think this Colts team is ready to say, you know what, if we get down 10 nothing, you know, we'll just let Sam Ellinger fling it around the field, and who cares if he has three or four turnovers? Play the field position battle. And when I say play the field position battle, I mean play the battle and then take advantage of it. This is a game where I absolutely believe we need to win it with field goals. And you're thinking, what? Win it with field goals? Well, here's what I mean by that. This Colts team really does play good defense, and they bend but don't break. When they lost to the Tennessee Titans, 19-10, to Nineteen to ten, they gave up four field goals and just one touchdown, which kept them in the hunt the entire game. But at the same time, Tennessee kept driving it and driving it down the field and, and running it up the gut with Derrick Henry, keeping their offensive unit out there. And at the very least, they would come up with points to keep the momentum of the game, not give Indy any short field. In fact, the Titans did not find the end zone offensively. Their lone touchdown came on a Matt Ryan interception return for a touchdown. So. As much as the Colts' offense is dreadful, their defense is top-notch, all right? And that, that's why you have to follow the Tennessee game plan that led to the success of taking field goals if they gave it to you, but just keep putting points on the board and keeping the offensive momentum and keeping the momentum for the team. You know, you can't let Indianapolis get hot, or you can't let Indianapolis have a one explosive play that makes them feel like, hey, we can actually win this thing, all right? They're 3-3-1 and on the season, and yet you look at each of their games – they could have lost even more than that, all right? Here's my plan for Taylor Heineke. Much of this week has been made about Taylor's awesome tradition, right? Everyone's been talking about he's got this new tradition in the NFL where he receives $125,000 of bonus for each victory. And what he do is he'll order a custom pair of Jordans with the Packers color scheme on it like he did this weekend. So before you guys go out there, I know everyone's like, oh, man, let's Google uh, blue and white Jordan 5s for the Colts scheme. Let's talk about what Heineke did well against the Green Bay Packers and how he can improve. So he started off very shaky. That's so obvious. Anybody that watched that game knows he had nerves. And, and really, that's why I think the fan base and the teammates love him so much. He is so human. That was the most human thing about him is that he came out there and he looked like a guy that was like, Oh, man, I don't know if I should be starting this game. I was on my sister's couch a few years ago. They brought in a $28 million man to start this season, not me. Well, he played like that in the first two drives. His timing across the field, he threw a pass to Terry McLaurin. It was two yards behind him. And it was like, man, dude, your timing is so off here. His dump-offs were right, right into the opposing team's hand. All right, And then he threw an out route that was so weak, the defender stepped in front and picked it off and returned it for a touchdown. After that point, Taylor started to settle down. He connected with Antonio Gibson. He connected with Brian Robinson Jr. on a screen pass. McLaurin and Samuel all on short route concepts. It was the West Coast-style offense 
all right, of getting it out quick and letting the receiver pick up the yards with his legs. The yak, the yak, the yak, the yards after catch. That is what Heineke does so successfully, right? He gets the ball into a receiver's hands and lets them make a play. As compared to Carson Wentz, who it felt like he was trying to drop dimes 30, 40, 50, and 60 yards down the field, and, you know, he was doing the bulk of the work. No, Heineke is just dropping back and releasing the ball at a five-yard pattern and letting the receiver do the work, getting the ball in the receiver's hands with enough time to make the catch and make a man miss. They also were coming back to the ball for him. I don't know if that's because they love playing for him or just, hey, they're good wide receivers, guys like Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin, but they were coming back to the ball on these throws, which were definitely trust throws, right? The 50-50 ball that could easily be intercepted if your receiver doesn't make a play on the ball or your receiver can make a winning play, which is exactly what Terry McLaurin did. And McLaurin, usually a quiet guy, made a ton of big plays, but I think he made a bigger impact by getting his teammates excited, getting everyone pumped up. Uh, Taylor Heineke said to the media on Wednesday, after that 37-yard touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin, I've never seen him so animated. He pushed me. He was yelling at me. It was really cool to see. And then I saw a clip when I got home uh, where I got to my phone where he kept going. He took his helmet off. He was screaming. I was like, this man is so cool. That quote by Taylor Heineke. And uh, it really, it was like a different Terry McLaurin that you're used to seeing. He's humble and he's quiet. But I think he knew how important it was for him to be the leader there and fire everyone up. Look, you're not going to win with the sexiest quarterback in the league when Taylor Heineke plays, all right? You're going to win by playing full complementary football and having him just do enough plays, escaping the pocket and, and keeping drives alive, unlike Carson Wentz, who was taking sack after sack after sack. Phone lines are always open here on AWOD Radio, 1-800-636-1067, 1-800-636-1067. I'm live here in D.C. until 11.30 a.m. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. This is AWOD Radio. Time to get up and at them and start your Saturday morning. And nothing better than turning on DC Sports Radio 106.7 The Fan, especially because this Washington Commanders team is hot. A two-game win streak. And the uh, points of victory between the two games there, five and two. All right? So between the two, we've won the last two games by just seven points, but it feels like this team has some momentum. Taylor Heineke provided a spark coming in for Carson Wentz, and the defense deserves a ton of credit for how they've played over the last month of the season here. They have kept us alive and kept us in games. We could have beaten the Tennessee Titans. I mean, they we were in the game against the Cowboys for most of the first three quarters of that one before that one got away, and we lost 25-10. to 10. And I truly feel like this is the best time of the season to get back to 500, and really, it might be the only time. Because you look at, if the Washington Commanders lose to the Colts, you're 3-5, and five, and the rest of the season is going to fly by. You'd have to win. You'd have to win three times in a row, or uh, two times in a row to get back to 500, and that's going to be tough with the Vikings and Eagles coming up after that. Maybe you split those, then you'd have to beat the Texans and the Falcons back-to-back. That's a possibility there. And I'm just telling you guys, the rest of the season is going to fly by and so it is vital that Washington takes advantage of this opportunity against the Indianapolis Colts, have a, who have had the worst offensive line in football, and they're starting a quarterback for the first time, or he's getting his first start of his career. All right, 1-800-636-1067. What's your game plan for the Washington Commanders as they take on the Indianapolis Colts? You can tweet me at AWOD Radio as well as calling us, 1-800-636-1067. What is your game plan for... The Commanders. Number one here. My favorite play of Heineke's all of last week. 
was when he stepped back, he felt the pressure immediately, he slid up in the pocket, he kept his eyes downfield, escaped the pressure, looked like he was going to run, and then flung a sidearm pass 10 yards downfield to Armani Rodgers. All right, the fourth string tight end who caught it and ran for 17 yards. He stepped up for Washington and might have to step up again this weekend. But the thing I loved about that play is that that's the exact opposite of what Carson Wentz would have done in that situation. You know, Taylor Heineke might have closed his eyes when he threw the game-winning pass to Terry McLaurin. Carson Wentz was closing his eyes and falling down anytime there was a rush in his face. Heineke was not afraid to take a hit. He was not afraid to, you know, to get pulverized and really complete a pass 20 yards down the field. And so it was those kind of little movements in the pocket that made him nimble and really made him so efficient last week for the commander. So my target number in mind for Taylor Heineke is 30 passes. He's got to try to complete 20 of those for 66%, all right? Two touchdowns and one or none interceptions. He must win. I mean, he absolutely must win his own touchdown-to-turnover battle especially with last week's fumble that was recovered for a touchdown called back. I mean, that was the difference maker right there. Taylor Heineke is not good enough to afford to be able to cost the ball and, and, and turn it over like that. He has to win his own turnover battle. Touchdown versus turnovers. It's the most important thing for Heineke. What is making this rushing attack so effective, and, and how can we continue this game plan? Well, this two-headed monster of Gibson and Robinson, I think the biggest difference with the run now is not giving up on it. Both in the Bears game and the Packers game, Washington did not trail at any point by two scores. All right? That happened a ton. You look at the first game of the season, you look at the Lions game after that, and then the Eagles game down 24 to nothing at one point. I mean, we've been trailing by two scores, which totally scraps the game plan. That was the biggest thing I noticed in the Bears and Packers game. We stuck with the run. We didn't get rid of it. We didn't give up on it. Don't stop. Eventually, you will break three. Break free. And that's exactly what happened. You know, you had Robinson... Brian Robinson was only averaging like two yards a carry. Then, boom, he broke one for 24 yards. Gibson was averaging about the same. Boom, he broke one free around the outside for 20 yards. And it's the change of pace with Gibson that caught the defense off guard. You know, Robinson does such a good job of barreling through defenders. He's so much fun to watch. I mean, it feels like you're watching a young Marshawn Lynch. Maybe that's too far, but I love the way he seeks out contact. It's like he loves to run over defenders. He puts his head down and he'll truck you over. He fights and falls forward for every single yard. You know, we talk about how Taylor Heineke, uh, Terry McLaurin said after the game, he plays every snap like it's his last. I almost feel the same way about Brian Robinson. You know, he plays like every single yard he's fallen forward, you know, is going to help feed his family the next night. It is that important to him, and you love to see it. He fights for every single yard. And then you mix in Gibson with his burst of speed around the edge and beating defenders to the corner and turning up field for a big gain. That's exactly what I envisioned. It's what Ron Rivera envisioned. It's this two-horse back, and that's exactly what it's supposed to look like. Both guys get 10-plus carries. You love to see it. And I even think we can find a way to get McKissick three or more touches this weekend because as fast as Gibson is and elusive as he is getting around the outside, J.D. McKissick might be even more elusive up the middle. And he's got this quickness and burst of speed that lets him take a shotgun draw up the middle for 10 yards on any given snap if the blocking does hold up. Phone lines are open, 1-800-636-1067. Let's go to Jason in Rockville. Jason, you're on the fan with Adam Epstein. Hey, uh, I just wanted to thank you for bringing up J.D. McKissick because as far as I'm concerned, it's a three-headed monster. Yeah, and uh, I haven't missed a game probably in five or ten years. And I noticed last game 
they didn't use him until like maybe the end of the second quarter, and then you didn't really see much J.D. McKissick. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I like Mm -hmm. Jonathan Williams as well. And throw it to Terry, throw it to Terry, throw it to Terry. Have a great day. I appreciate the call, man. 1-800-636-1067 if you want to chime in. 1-800-636-1067. Call in. Tell me what your game plan is, right? How would you script a perfect first drive for Washington? Obviously, like the caller just said, you got to find a way to get Terry McLaurin the ball. I like what we did a few weeks ago where we did a couple end-arounds to him and screen passes to him and just get him the ball in the first half of the game, the first quarter. And and he's one of those guys where the more you get it to him, the better their chance is of him breaking free and, and getting you know yards after catch like I've been talking about all morning here. It's going to be huge. If the Colts lock down Scary Terry, though, look for another big game from Curtis Samuel. He's got to step up and receive more targets. Uh, Samuel battled all the injuries in the world last season, played in only five games, had six catches for 27 yards and no touchdowns. But through the first couple games this season, he has turned it around completely. All right, He's burst onto the scene immediately with week one, putting up 72 yards for Washington and a touchdown in the commander's win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. The next week, he had another touchdown. All right, And when Jahan Dotson comes back, this receiving core is going to be a three-headed monster just like he got with the running backs. But look for uh, Curtis Samuel to be involved a lot this weekend uh, because I love the, the fact that he can make a guy miss. And the Indianapolis Colts defense is good. They're very good at tackling, and so you've got to get him the ball in space. you got him to get him the ball with the ability to make one guy miss because there's going to be two guys all over him It's at all times. They're, I mean, the Colts defense is good, and that's why I'm leaning low-scoring game here. We'll take some more phone calls later on in the show, but we're going to be talking Washington Wizards. Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington joins me next on The Fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, the Washington Wizards fell to the Indiana Pacers 127-117. to 117. The record on the season now sits at 3-2. and two. The Pacers got a, a big win there behind Buddy Heald and Halliburton catching fire in the first and second quarters of the game there. And Washington's defense, which had played so good, and of course this was a ESPN nationally televised game and all pregame they were talking about Wes Unsell Jr.'s defense and they even had a sit down with him going through some of the plays and the biggest part of the defense was everybody was getting back no transition buckets well the defense um, you know did not show up in the first half of that game gave up 36 points in the first half for Indiana then they scored 39 in the second quarter there Uh, third and fourth quarter held them to 26 points but it was just too much uh, to come back there for Washington. Joining me right now on the hotline is Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington. What's going on, Chase? Not much, man. Good to be on with you. Absolutely, man. I, I feel like we should have known that a primetime game, Washington's defense wouldn't show up, right? <laughs> well, <clears throat> it's not exactly the Commanders or Kirk Cousins, but <laughs> yeah, I think what they should have known is that uh, it's still very early, and I think all of us who watched this team last year are going to be even more skeptical than uh, those who watch the Wizards normally are because they started out 10-3 and last season and, um, you know, their defense looked great. And that's why I thought that their start was sustainable and then we all know what happened after that. But uh, I think their defense has a chance to be pretty good this year. I just don't know if, you know, the fifth best defensive rating in the league like they had going into last night's game was going to be sustained, and especially now that 
DeLon Wright is out. You're already seeing how much they miss that guy. He's one of their best defenders. They signed him in free agency. He's a 6'5 point guard who's uniquely good at forcing turnovers. And not having him out there against Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald and Benedict Matherin uh, proved to be a pretty big disadvantage for the Wizards. No, I mean, I totally agree. Watching that game defensively, we struggled at the point guard position, and I and it really showed how much of an impact DeLon Wright was having, not just offensively, uh, but defensively for this Washington Wizards team through the first four games before he got hurt. Uh, so what is the latest on his injury? How long will he be out exactly? And then, you know, I'm going to say this right now. I think Washington needs to get after a free agent or something because you just can't play Johnny Davis, man. He is not NBA ready. I, I hate to say it, but he's not, and it showed. I mean, Buddy Heald blew by him twice for easy layups. That can't happen. Yeah, well, first on DeLon Wright, he's expected to be out six to eight weeks. Uh, he's oh. got a grade two hamstring strain, um, and it looked bad when he first went out. You know, I, I sit right above the Wizards tunnel at home games, and he ran right off the court uh, against the Pistons, holding his hamstring, and screamed uh, an expletive as he was running by us. Uh, and then after the game, he was kind of all smiles and said he'll be good. But it just didn't seem like uh, you know he was he was telling the truth or that he knew the true severity of it. So, sure enough, six to eight weeks. And you know, you mentioned the backup plan. Um, that is a, a pretty tough spot for the Wizards because they came into this season with only two traditional veteran point guards on their roster, Monte Morris and DeLon Wright. So uh, they don't really have like a logical backup for him. So what they tried to do last night is give Johnny Davis his minutes and essentially play Johnny Davis as the point guard on defense, but he's nowhere near uh, ready to play point guard on offense. Um, so they had Bradley Beal uh, generate the offense as the point guard. They played Will Barton in that spot. They played Denny Avia a little bit in that spot. Kyle Kuzma, so it was kind of a, a team effort. And they, had, they of course, leaned more heavily on Monte Morris, who had a great game. He had a career-high 12 assists. But um, you do wonder if they're going to have to make a roster move at some point. They do have Chris Dunn on their G League team. Um, sometimes it's not super simple to bring guys up, but, you know, he's got a lot of NBA experience. He's a former top-ten pick with the Chicago Bulls, and he's a big guard who defends. So maybe he could fill in and give you something similar to what DeLon Wright was giving you. Yeah, I wonder how he's played so far in the season with the G League. I mean, I, I definitely think we have to keep an eye on that. And I mean, hey, where's Ish Smith when you need him, right? He can't be playing for Dallas. Right. Bring him over here. Uh, I loved Ish off the bench. To, but uh, explain to me your thoughts on Monte Morris, because although it was a career high in assists, he didn't shoot the ball well. Two of eight from the field and 0 of three from the three-point line. Uh, but the biggest thing I'm noticing from him is his assist-to-turnover ratio is legit. Like, he does value the ball, which is nice to see from your point guard. Yeah, he's one of the best in the game at limiting turnovers. Last year, he was fifth in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, it's long been a strength for him, going back to his days at Iowa State. Um, and he's not a very high-assist guy. He's not going to score a ton of points, but he protects the ball. And he does a really good job of just setting the table for others. And I think the Wizards went out this offseason. They wanted to find a point guard who ran the offense in a traditional way, you know, maybe in contrast to Spencer Dinwiddie, who was more of a, a score-first point guard and wasn't really a traditional point guard at all, kind of maybe a, an off-ball shooting guard. Um, so they found their guy, Amante Morris. But as you're seeing so far, um, you know, he's not the best starting point guard in the league. It's, it's an era where uh, that position's pretty stacked. So I think you're hoping over time that he can become more than just a table setter and a guy who gives you, you know, nine points and six assists and maybe – 
develops into something more than, um, you know, maybe the 25th best starting point guard in the league. Maybe, maybe he can follow the track of like a Fred Van Vliet, maybe not become an all-star, but, you know, he's had a similar trajectory so far in his career. Uh, maybe he can continue to surprise people and become an above-average point guard over the years. I think he still has some upside to tap into. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on DC Sports Radio 106.7, the fan in the nation's capital. I'm Adam Epstein, joined by Chase Hughes. Follow him on Twitter at Chase Hughes NBCS. And I want to get your thoughts on Rui Hashimura. And, you know, I'm watching every game. Like, I'm a diehard Wizards fan. You, you know this, Chase. And I watch Rui, and I just don't see, you know, a, a path for him to succeed in the NBA as more than just, you know, an eighth or ninth guy. I mean, it's not like he's got a great three-point shot. You know, he's deceptively quick and, and big and strong, but it's not like he really uses that to his advantage all that much out on the court. Last night he played 25 minutes, and yet he only got off seven shot attempts. That's the biggest thing for me. I need him to shoot more. He was three of seven, ended up with ten points, but the plus-minus, minus 19. I mean, what does that tell you about Rui Hashimura? It's been kind of a trend for him in his career. You know, sometimes he, he's more aggressive in a game, and then some other nights he's not uh, quite as assertive. Um, and, you know, with him, it's, it's always been a situation where as soon as he stepped on an NBA floor, he was a good player, right? As a rookie, he was all-rookie, first Wizards player uh, to make all-rookie since Bradley Beal. Uh, always has been able to give you 11 12, 13, 14 points a game uh, and shoot pretty decently from the field. And then last year he added a three-point shot. But, you know, in order to have uh, a lucrative and long NBA career and, and be more than just, uh, you know, a seventh or eighth man on a team, you're probably going to have to do more than that. So I think we've all been waiting for him to make the leap and, and fill in the gaps in his game. And I think there's a chance that he does that this season because we saw the three-point shot last year. We've heard rave reviews about um, – his uh, his development as a ball handler uh, year over year through the offseason. He worked really hard on that, uh, trying to create his own shot from three-point range rather than just you know come off a screen or stand there and, and knock down a catch-and-shoot three. So we'll see. It is, it's a big year for him. It's a contract year. Um, it's kind of a, a crossroads for him in his NBA career. I think he's shown enough where he's going to have a long NBA career. He's probably going to make – you know, plenty of money as a bench player, but can he be more than a bench player? Can he be more than a role player? Could he be a starter or maybe even something more? I think the jury is still out on that. Um, so it's kind of like the floor is pretty high for him, but uh, there continue to be questions about his ceiling. Yeah, and Chase, you know, the biggest thing about the loss last night is that the rest of the schedule for the rest of the year is a nightmare. I, I didn't realize it was this bad. At Boston, then two games against Philadelphia before home against Brooklyn. Uh, you've got three matchups with the Miami Heat in November, and although they haven't started strong, that's a very tough opponent. And you got Boston, Minnesota, Memphis in there. I mean, the rest of this year is, is a tough schedule for Washington. Yeah, going into the year, you could see that there was sort of a soft spot uh, in the in the very beginning, and they just finished that uh, get, yeah. playing the Pacers. They played them twice. They played the Pistons. Um, they also played the Bulls, and they they saw the Bulls without Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball. But right after that is possibly one of their toughest stretches of the entire schedule. They're going to see, as you mentioned, Boston, uh, Philly twice, Brooklyn, Memphis. Then they play Charlotte without um, Lamelo Ball. But then they play the Dallas Mavericks, who were in the conference finals last year. So. You really needed to pack away some wins to, to get started, and the Wizards did a good job of that through their first four games. They beat all the teams they were supposed to beat. The only team they lost to was the Cavaliers. They lost to them in overtime on the road, and the Cavaliers with Donovan Mitchell look as advertised like contenders. 
Um, but last night was a game that I, I think they really uh, needed to win because you would have been 4-1 and one going into that difficult stretch, uh, starting with Boston, who were in the NBA Finals last year. And it, it may have been a little bit of a trap game. You know, Kristaps uh, Porzingis kind of alluded to them overlooking the Pacers last night. And that's not that's not what you want, and that's not something that you can make a habit of if you want to be a playoff contender or something more. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a tough schedule. I think uh, in the big picture, that was probably to be expected in general because the Eastern Conference is so much better than it was uh, just a few years ago. You know, last year it required a winning record just to make the play-in tournament. Uh, when a couple years ago when the Wizards uh, went to the bubble, they were the 10th seed in the East. They would have made the play-in tournament if it was in its current form, and they were 21 games under 500 that year. So it's a completely different conference. It's much deeper than it's ever been. Maybe the deepest it's been since Michael Jordan was on the Bulls. Honestly, I think you could go that far back because last year the East beat the West head-to-head for just the second time this century. Like, it's uh, it's wow. very, very rare to see the East this good, and the Wizards are one of many teams that are hoping to go to the playoffs this year. Yeah, Chase, I mean, so we'll see how they play over the next few weeks. Personally, I like to take the NBA season like 10 games at a time. <clears throat> but I asked my audience to chime in. You can tweet me at AWAD Radio, A-W-A-D-D-R-A-D-I-O, or you could tweet Chase at NBCS. Let's flood his mentions. Does this roster <laughs> have enough talent to win a playoff series? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. I think they definitely have uh, the talent to get to the playoffs. Uh, the East is so deep. The seed, I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to be a top-four seed as constituted, so you'd have to pull a bit of an upset. Um, but I think the path towards winning a playoff series would look like this. Um, things go well enough where, you know, say you're the seventh seed uh, as you approach the trade deadline, and then you make a move to level up. And then, you know, whether you finish as the sixth seed, seventh seed, um, fifth seed maybe even, uh, you know, you're better than your seed would suggest because you just added some talent. And I think that's got to be kept in mind. The Wizards have done a good job at the trade deadline uh, the last few years with Tommy Shepard as their GM and team president. They, they know how to identify talent in trades. You know, that's how they got Daniel Gafford two years ago. Um, that's how they got Chris Dasforzingis last year. So they've got a proven track record in that regard. So I, I think there's a couple steps that would need to happen for them to get there. Um, but I do think they can get into the playoffs. Chase, always appreciate you, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to join the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yep, I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. We've got a full slate of NFL games on Sunday, including an early one from London starting kickoff there at 9.30 a.m. We're going to go around the NFL with NFL Hits next on The Fan. But right now it's time to go around the NFL with a little NFL hits on the fan with Adam Epstein. Coach on the hot seat. The hit stories in the NFL. NFL hits on A1 Radio. All right, Caitlin, I'm going to start with Brady and Giselle. All right, announcing their divorce following another tough loss for Tom and Tampa Bay. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm not giving up on Tom Brady. Place your bets right now. Sign up with FanDuel co- promo code AWOD on Tampa Bay to win that division. I mean, I really think they could back into first place. That division is so bad. It's god-awful. And, and so even though it's looked ugly, all right, and all this off-the-field distractions of the uh, oncoming divorce, now it's been publicized by the couple, all right? They are getting divorced. It's out there. I think Tom Brady's going to play much better now. I think he's going to go out there and think about nothing but football. And re- really, Tom Brady's the GOAT. And, and I think anybody out there that is going to bet against him is crazy. He's the best quarterback I've seen in my lifetime. I'm 29 years old now. 
and it's not even close, right? Peyton Manick, he's second, but he's never even had the postseason success that Tom Brady has had. Nobody has stayed as healthy as Tom Brady and has won as many regular season and playoff games as Tampa Tom, and I am not giving up on this dude so far this season. And it's not just because his team isn't been playing great. It's because I look at that division, and I think, are the Atlanta Falcons for real with Marcus Mariota? Hell no! Are the Carolina Panthers going to keep winning games with P.J. Walker? Hell no! The Saints are starting Andy Dalton this weekend over a healthy Jameis Winston. Hell no! I think Tom Brady could win this division at 8-9 and nine or 9-8. Nine and eight. And so sitting at 3-5, and five, trailing the 3-4 and four Atlanta Falcons, I mean, he is ready to turn this season around. And so I am absolutely not counting out Tom Brady. Let's talk about the Sunday 9.30 game on ESPN Plus from Wembley Stadium in London. Caitlin, what did you think of the antics there by Russell Wilson on the plane ride? Could you believe that he was actually high-stepping? <laughs> I mean, he is on the Broncos, right? Got to keep everything high, right? (laughs) (laughs) High knees, Broncos country, let's ride. Here's the thing. As crazy as that was, I think it's going to work, right? I I think his teammates probably hate him now, and they think, oh, man, I'll never get sleep on a plane again because I'll be thinking about Russell Wilson going up and down the aisle and high knees and, and, you know, doing leg kicks and all that. But I think it worked. I think he's going to be fresh, and he's going to come out and play well. And look, this Jacksonville Jaguars team, I do think they're better than their 2-5 and record. Travis uh, Etienne Jr., provides a spark for them. Kirk is good as well on the outside, and Trevor Lawrence has looked better this season. But I think this is it. This is the Broncos' last chance here uh, to turn the season around, or their coach could be fired. I mean, they're sitting in last place in the AFC West, trailing the 2-4 and four Vegas Raiders, trailing the 4-3 and three Chargers, and the 5-2 and two Kansas City Chiefs. Broncos country, United Kingdom, let's ride one more time. I'm all in on Russell Wilson, plus the 2.5 points. Let's ride with Wilson one more time. 1 p.m. on Fox. The Panthers facing off against the Atlanta Falcons. I think Atlanta uh, edges them in an ugly, low-scoring game there. Falcons win, uh, but do not cover the four-point spread. It'll be a close one. Bears-Cowboys. And as good as Justin Field looks the other week, right? he looked so bad on Thursday night. He looked like the worst quarterback in the league. And then the next week, Bill Belichick had no game plan, couldn't stop him at all. He ran all all around that Patriots team. He's going to be facing a much tougher task this weekend. That Cowboys defense is legit. They have not been winning games with Ezekiel Elliott, you know, one of the highest-paid running backs in the league. They have not been winning games with Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott. They have been winning games because Micah Parsons is a problem. And as much as it pains me to say that because I hate the Cowboys so much, He is unbelievable. He is so good at getting after the quarterback or just getting in the face of the quarterback and causing him to scramble or throw it away. And then you got Trevon Diggs out there making plays as well and picking off things left and right. This Cowboys defense is so good. They're legit. They move to 6-2. Skipping over Dolphins-Lions. That's an easy win for the Dolphins, I believe. Cardinals-Vikings. I'm expecting an upset in this one, all right? The Arizona Cardinals have been a different team in just one week since they got DeAndre Hopkins back. You know, everyone talked about it, and everyone said, what kind of impact would he make when he returns? Well, he's that X factor. He's that energy guy. He's the explosive play guy that the weapon that the Cardinals desperately needed with Kyler Murray, who had struggled so far this season. And when he plays for the Cardinals, that offense is way more dynamic. I expect him to get in the back of the end zone. He had no touchdowns but 100 yards in his first game back last Thursday. And this Minnesota Vikings team with Kirk Cousins... 
is not a 5-1 football team. In my opinion, they're 3-0 at home. They take their first loss this Sunday on Fox against the Arizona Cardinals. Raiders, Saints, I think the Raiders uh, win that one because I'm never going to bet on the Red Rifle, Andy, uh, Andy Dalton. Patriots, Jets. This is an interesting one because I think after this game, you'll be able to say, hey, either the Jets are legit or the Patriots have some real issues. Uh, I'm going to go with the Patriots in this one, though. I think Bill Belichick doesn't have two bad game plans in a row, and this Jets team have, has been playing better, uh, but I don't think they moved to 6-2 and two on the year. Uh, that would be spectacular, but I'm going with Belichick in that one. Uh, even though they're on the road, it is New England minus 2.5. They covered the spread. Steelers at Eagles. I hate to say this, but I look through the Eagles' schedule, and I see them getting a 7-0 against the Steelers. I see them getting an 8-0 against the Texans. If Washington's hot, maybe we, you know, make it close, but they probably beat us and move to 9-0. And then they're at the Colts, and they're 10-0. And then the Packers at home, they're 11-0. And then the Titans, they're 12-0. They might not lose until they face the Giants December 11th. I, I truly believe in this Eagles team because defensively, they are solid. They're hard to score against. And offensively, they've got the number one offensive line in football. And when you have the best offensive line in football and you have a quarterback that can scramble, my goodness. I mean, how do you stop this team? It's going to be hard to imagine the Eagles not winning this NFC East and not making it to at least the NFC Conference Championship game. I'm really looking forward to Fox's 425 game of the week. The Rams facing off with the 49ers. And I think the match to watch up the matchup to watch in that is the Rams and Aaron Donald against Jeff Wilson Jr. and Christian McCaffrey with the 49ers. If the Niners can establish the run and Jimmy G only has to throw the ball 20 or 25 games, they can win this game. And I'm actually going to pick the 49ers. The line is even, so it's a pick 'em, and I'm going with the 49ers in this one. Christian McCaffrey just watched his old team beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with led by PJ Walker. He's going to want to get his first dub with his new team, the San Francisco 49ers. You've been listening to AWOD Radio. Up and at them here on a Saturday morning on DC Sports Radio 106.7 The Fan. The Commanders against the Colts Sunday at 425. Matthew Paris of the Washington Times will join me to discuss it next on The Fan.